Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas change the world. One of the most important ideas out there today is what are we becoming? We as humans, we in our communities, what are we becoming? And maybe what can we become with enough vision and foresight? And I started thinking about individuals and their communities. And uh, I found a woman who has been prevalent in security. She has been the vice president of women in security in one of the regions of our country. She's been a um, uh, part of the uh, sustainable urbanization efforts. She's been part of the risk and reconstruction efforts of New York City. She's facilitated numerous panels on climate, vulnerable communities. And most importantly, she's also getting involved in what the city of the future might look like. I welcome to the great conversation, Maxine Layton. Maxine, great having you. Great. Thank you. Wonderful, Ron. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, I, I, I got to tell you, there's nothing like a great conversation about the communities of the future. Tell me a, a little background first. Why are you so interested in this? What, what in your journey, your professional journey, led you to this moment where you're envisioning the city of the future? Well, let me start back in uh, what started uh, my childhood, where I grew up in um, Coney Island, Brooklyn, in the NYCHA housing, which is New York City Housing Authority, public housing. And I was very impacted by the urban environment and the um, lack of access and some of the constrictions I found growing up in that environment. But on the other hand, what was incredibly positive was there was a deep sense of community within within the projects. And there was a great connection to mother nature, to the water. And so the ocean was really a part of our lived experience. And it was for me, the most humanizing part of, of my life experience growing up because it connected me to something greater than the constriction of the urban environment I was in. Nature, the water was openness, it was access. So I learned a lot about access through nature and I learned a lot about lack of access through the experience of the built environment I grew up in. And so that was the beginning of my passion for and commitment to the built environment in the natural world, but also to vision what the future would be. So I was always envisioning what the world could be and what the world was for those who had a different experience within different types of communities. You're right, it is contextual depending on the culture of the community. That's right, and when um, part of the other thing that was, I was engaged in my career uh, post 9-11, working um, with planners and the families of the victims as part of that. 
I also was engaged post-Katrina working um, with some affordable housing developers at the time. And when Sandy hit, I was in the middle of my getting my PhD. And I was on a subject about cities that was really about cultural memory and design and cultural heritage and um, sites of conscience. And that's what I was focusing on until Sandy hit. And I went back to work on in Coney Island to really work on the ground in Coney Island. And it was there that I realized that I was not working on the right dissertation and that the experience of going back to my community and the experience of connecting what I knew from when I was growing up about the power of the earth context of the built environment and also the kind of inequities that happened on the ground within these circumstances. I completely changed direction and started working on a dissertation that really looked at climate impactful events and the impact on the professionals that were on the front lines as well as um, communities and the disparities along um, equity, diversity, inclusion, and race. We are seeing a great conversation happening around that, not just because of climate change, we're also seeing it front and center during the pandemic as well. Yes. And as well as in the uh, vaccination effort. So how do we take communities who are one thing and turn them into something more productive, more efficient, and more equitable? How do we do that? It's hard enough to walk into a family and turn a family culture around, to walk into a business and turn a business culture around. How you are really talking about cultural change. Yes, and the first thing is to admit that there's an issue and there's not an us and a them. So much of um, the lack of access and these systemic racial cultural issues are based around a mindset of the other and not based on a mindset of equanimity, dignity, and oneness. And so that's kind of where we need to begin. The pandemic and the issues that are, came to the forefront during the pandemic, not just around COVID, but around the, the killing of George Floyd and the issues of systemic racism being brought to you know, the, the forefront in a way that has really begun to have change and movement is very much the beginning of a conversation about not only needing to change, but the desire to bring about change. And for some people, that's something long awaited. And for others, it's seen as something threatening. And so 
It's about having conversations that are difficult conversations where these issues are brought up and where we can begin to really speak honestly about how we've been impacted or not impacted by these issues. I'm kind of curious, can the architecture of a community or even a building impact how people treat each other? Uh, without a doubt. I mean, the architecture design needs to really, and there's more of a movement toward that now that's really beginning to happen, where the profession itself, the, the architecture, engineering, design, construction has historically been geared um, not to women or people of color or people of uh, various different socioeconomic backgrounds. And so that's beginning, that's part of the fundamental change that needs to start to happen. Because those different perspectives are important in terms of how you address different design challenges. I mean, part of it is based on, in one respect, on education, but on another respect, it's based on personal experience. And not just your own, but the ability to understand the experience of others. I mean, during, in my research for my dissertation, it was someone I interviewed um, and this, this woman said, you know, New Orleans had two disasters. There was Katrina, and then it was all the people that came into our communities saying that they had the answers. And I think that statement is, is very much points to the case that there wasn't enough diversification in thought enough diversification of experience, and there wasn't enough listening to the people within the community. I mean, I can say, and I would say this on a personal level, growing up in the projects, I can remember people coming inside the community and a level of distrust that I felt and that was built because people would come in and they would offer change and it never happened or they would offer change and it would mean a level of gentrification that would make it difficult for you to stay in that community or they would offer change without actively listening to those of us in the community who knew more than people from the outside what it was that we needed. And I remember, and, and this may very well be my zeitgeist of why getting, you know, going through and having higher education was so important to me because I distinctly remember feeling when people came into my community that because I was poor, that meant I was stupid and that I had no sense of self and I had no sense of community and I had no sense of intelligence. And I would say that the comment from that particular colleagues and many colleagues talking about post-Katrina is very reflective of that. So interesting, uh, Maxine, I was in a group short time ago, 
talking about leadership. Just for shocks, I Googled leadership. Okay. I said, I'm not, well, you know, I, I, I assume I've been doing leadership for 40 years. Mm-hmm. What, what's the famous archivist Google saying about leadership these days? Mm-hmm. I looked it up and it was really interesting. It went right to the various manifestations of leadership, research, practical skills, influence. And yet there was this image in mine of a, and I, it came from a quote and I can't, can't think of who said it. If it was some executive in a business who said, I feel like sometimes our culture, you can put leadership is putting your hand in a bucket of water and pulling it out. And no one even knew you were there. Right. And my answer was, but your hands wet. So that act of leadership influenced you. So, so I wonder, I wonder back to communities that can make a difference. I wonder if we're looking at creating the highest form of creative community we could design might be a learning community, which would then allow us to see each other for what we are rather than a community that's a telling community or a community that's an assumptive community for, you know, but, but a learning community. How do we design learning communities? Does that make sense? Well, it does. And um, in my doctoral work, my program is, is in leadership and change within, I mean, that, that's, that's, the, that's the core of, of this particular PhD program. So we spent a lot of time and, and everything was really viewed through the context of leadership. What, what I can say is that there are, while there are many different forms and practices of leadership, there's you know, things like complex adaptive leadership, there's inclusive leadership, there's servant leadership, there's you know, leadership in place, there's indigenous um, leadership. I mean, there's, there are many different forms of leadership. I think what they, the commonality, what you're saying about, you know, the kind of learning and, 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 and teaching that there's every community has its own narrative. Every community has its own culture. And it's, it's trying to work from that narrative and culture uh, as a form of, of developing more coherent, cohesive community. I mean, one looks at storytelling and narrative. If we look at that for an example, is something that is really the fiber that that keeps families together, that keeps communities together. And I think what often happens is that those stories and those narratives and what's important may not often be heard or told in a way that can inform change. So as an example, I'm gonna go back to Coney Island. Coney Island was hit very hard by Sandy, as was the Rockaways, Red Hook, uh, Lower East Side, but I will focus for a moment on Coney Island. When you look at the science, in terms of sea level rise, 
you realize that for an intergenerational community, that there will be a point where the sea level rise and the, and the average of um, sunny day flooding and more storms coming, that it's gonna impact the fabric of the community and the livability there. So what kinds of conversations need to happen now to talk about the narrative of the community and the people from which this is home, but also look at what can be put in place now in terms of preparing for that future mm. without feeling that these kinds of conversations are a way in which to divest people of their own communities. And before we hit the record button today on this podcast, which was just continuing a conversation we already had, we talked about being and becoming, and you so wisely put in front of being doing. And where we're at, it feels like, is we're naturally going to doing, we're being reactive. Mm -hmm. We're responding to the Coney Islands, the Katrinas. Um, we're, we're playing defense uh, right. rather than offense. We're not envisioning a different kind of community. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think without that vision and followers who believe in it, we're going to have a hard time adapting to what's going on around us. What do you think? Well, I think that's very true. And I think that these are very complex issues. I, I mean, it's, it's not... We have issues in this country about dealing with immigration. And this is a country of immigrants. <laughs> what we're not looking at is that with increasing climate change, we are gonna become increasingly more a country of immigrants in the sense of our own people needing to immigrate, migrate, to different parts of the country where um, there's less repetition of these climate impactful events. Absolutely. So our level of tolerance for each other in that way, uh, and, and this is not a cross the board statement, but for a lot of people, this is, it's not only hard to envision leaving where you've been, and this goes back to the narrative and the intergenerational aspect, but it's also where and how you might be received. Right. I mean, we're seeing what's happening, um, what happened during the pandemic, what's happening coming down along political lines about masks and vaccines and, um, voting rights. I mean, we're seeing right now so much doing around separation that in order to be in a space of beingness, you need to take a leap where there is more of a cohesiveness. Yes. And the planet herself is really reflecting that to us. And I get concerned that we're not really listening because we're so busy doing 
and not being with what's happening out of fear, out of grief. And it's understandable. This is not a judgment. I, I completely understand it. And it's a struggle within my own self. But we're, we're never going to really get to that place of what, what the next step is if we can't start to have a conversation about where we are with each other. And I know that sounds probably to a lot of listeners as um, maybe thin or kumbayaish. Platitude, yeah. Yeah, platitudes. But the reality is, is that we are being everything around us from the pandemic to storms, fires, heat, water shortages, all of this. It's, these are messages. Yeah. And I, we're, we're just not listening. And I think the listening needs to happen, frankly, community by community. I think there is, to a degree, so much the government can do, but I think it really needs to happen at a local level. We need both, but we need action on a local level as well. You, uh, Maxine, I believe, uh, are working hard on a book right now. Yeah, I am um, working on uh, a book um, uh, that is really looking at, it's going to be two books, but the first book, it's, it's based on um, all of my research around climate impactful events and really looking at where the future is taking us in terms of of cities and, and how we're going to deal as a community with some of these challenges. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of this is really based on the narrative research I did throughout the course of, of my, my doctoral research. And uh, through the voices of, of professionals in different aspects of architecture, engineering, planning, but also community, activate, community activists um, and uh, educators, and really looking at these issues from these different lenses and how they were not only professionals responding to, but they were professionals that were acted on because of where they were. They were not divorced from the actual events of Sandy and of Katrina. Mm -hmm. um, they were as much actors as participants. Right, so the book is really based on a series of conversations you've had for some time. Right. And, uh, when, when can we expect this book out? Uh, I'm hoping that um, it will be out within the next year. Within the next year? Rutledge Press, yes. Okay, so what we'll wanna do is uh, re-up and have another great conversation before it's released so you can yes. give us a preview. That would be awesome. That would be wonderful. We'll check back with you later this year and see where you're at. That would be wonderful. This has been a, a wonderful conversation, Maxine. What, given you know where this book is going, 
which I know many authors would say, I'm not sure of that. <laughs> I'm not sure of that either. It's, it's <laughs> you know what, I, I'm at a, a part of the process, which is wonderful, where now it is, it is beginning to um, pull me. Yes. So I'm just letting it take me where it wants me to go. If you hear a voice calling you down that path, what's that voice saying to you right now in the present? That this is about the great conversation between the human and the natural experience. So it's how we live in community, not just with each other, but how we live in community with the earth. We are strangers in a strange land. This has been a great conversation with Maxine Layton. We will be following up with her later in the year to see how that voice is pulling her along in the great journey around the human and its natural uh, ecosystem. Thank you so much, Maxine. You are so welcome.